Thank you. Thank you. I got one response. I, uh, yeah, my name is Jordan Ellerby. Um, I am, while this isn't my first time teaching on a Sunday, it's my first time teaching on a Sunday and people could actually understand what I'm saying because the other time was in, on a mission trip somewhere uh, in South America. So there is a little bit of uh, nervousness. But you'll uh, God is good and I, I trust that he'll move. But um, before I dive in, I do want to pray and then um, we'll open God's word together. Actually, if you can rise for the, the reading of God's word, I'd like to do that with you guys. And then we'll pray. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew's in the New Testament, if you about three quarters of the way in your Bible. Chapter 9, verses 10. We're going to possibly cover through verse 17. We'll see. So Matthew 9, verse 10 says, Now it happened... As Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as, the, as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. Let's stop there. Father, I do thank you so much for this morning, God. I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for you and uh, the work that you're still doing today, Lord. Um, the work that you're doing in Boston, the work that you're doing in Calvary, the work that you're doing in your church across the world, not just our country, God. And I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place with you, God, and more of you, Lord. I pray that uh, my words would be your words, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would have ears, including myself, God. I pray that we would have hear, ears to hear uh, what you want to do in our lives, Lord. I pray that this would prepare us to enter this week as well, Father. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, please be seated. So last week, Pastor Steve was in Mark chapter 6. And on Sundays, we're in Mark. We Here at Calvary Chapel, we go through the Bible uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And, and last week we went over just a couple highlights, and I think it will do well to prepare us for today. A couple highlights from last week. Uh, Pastor Steve talked about the word apostle. It's the only time that Mark used it uh, was in this passage. Um, and what does apostle mean? Anyone? Sent one. Sent one. Thank you. Apostle means a sent one, one who is sent, right? And well, I think that it's clear that there's a, a difference between the first six apostles. I think there's a lot of, a lot of uh, learning characteristics we can learn from when Jesus was sending them out for the first time and what he was doing in Mark 6. Uh, Jesus was sending these men. If you think about not just their age, I think Steve highlighted most scholars would say that they were young, probably late teens, early 20s. 
Um, but just forgetting their age for a second, these men, Jesus' ministry was three years long. Three years. At most, this time they spent with Jesus was three years. Right? That is not that much. Right? For Jesus to say, my church is going to be built upon you guys. You guys will go out and preach forth the gospel to the world. These guys spent three years with Jesus, and he's doing this. I think about the first three years I was a Christian, and I, man, I would not be able to be sent out. I think, you know, I think it's year 10 for me, and I don't feel called to do this today. Not called, but I am uh, afraid, right? I, that, Pastor Steve talked about the first time he uh, taught uh, on a Sunday morning. He was green the night before. I texted him last Monday and said, Pastor Steve, I'm green. And uh, <laughs> just uh, as I was preparing, but there is, a, there is this boldness that I do have and this confidence I have not in myself but in God. And it's the same confidence that God was calling, Jesus was calling the Son of the God, the Son, right? He was calling these apostles to have uh, in him, uh, in his decision to have them sent out and continue this work. Now, I think I want to stop there for a second, and I think before we dive into today's text, I would like to give you a little background about myself. Um, I just mentioned I've been walking with God for praise, praise, praise Him for 10 years, Um, but I was, uh, while being born in Boston, I was raised in Las Vegas. I was raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, You know, it's often called Sin City. Uh, that's That's another name for it, where things are done in excess. Um, I would say that it's, you know, there are so many Christians doing God's work out there. It is an incredible place. Um, I know I have some, uh, maybe they're not here. Oh, yeah, Josh and Kelly Davis, fellow vegans, uh, although I would argue they're right outside of Vegas. Um, but uh, they, when I moved to, Bo- rather, when I moved to Las Vegas at the age of nine and being raised a teen there, my sister and I, uh, we, we carried a lot of weight. Uh, on our shoulders. My parents battled legal issues for as long as I can remember, and we became very, very, very good at putting on a mask. Very good at masking what was actually going on in our lives. Um, we, we masked it by doing things, by doing uh, things in school. Uh, I played football and basketball. Uh, my sister played, uh, my sister was a cheerleader. Um, but something happened at the age of 15. I, I decided that we were on a winning streak in high school football, and we were partying, and for the first time, I, I, I decided that I'm going to try to smoke weed. Before this, I was an athlete. I couldn't do this. This is not for me. Athletes don't do this. But when I did it, I realized, wow, this is an easy way to mask pain. This mask pain. Like, I no longer care about the pain that I'm holding inside. And, but what I didn't realize is what the, what the cost of that mask, the cost of putting on that mask, uh, I didn't realize how much that would cost me. I, uh, at 15, so I started at 15. By 16, I was kicked out of one school. I went to a behavior school. Um, fresh before this, I was an honor roll student. By 15, I was kicked, 16, I was kicked out of one school, went to a behavior school, went to another school in the, in the public school district, and then was kicked out of that school, and then ultimately kicked out of the school district. So I was no longer allowed to go to a public school in Las Vegas. And this was complete God's, God's mercy, God's grace. Um, And I'll explain those words in a minute. But God's sovereignty, I think that's an easy way to say this right now. God was in control the whole time. Uh, The only school I can go to was this little private Christian school. That's the only school that would accept me. Uh, My senior year of high school, because I got kicked out of school, the public school district, the third day of my senior year of high school. 
and this, this was the only option I had was this little private Christian school. And I begged my parents, like, listen, just whatever you do, don't send me outside of Vegas. Don't send me to my godmother's house in New York. She's a NYPD lieutenant. Don't send me with other family members. Like, I knew I was a punk, so I didn't want to go live with them. I, nobody had to tell me that this wouldn't have been. She's from Barbados. It just wouldn't have been a good, uh, a good fit. I would have got my butt kicked every day. Um, so I... I you know, talk my parents into letting me go to this private school. And at this private school, this, this, this school trinity, it was, there was something I saw that I've never seen on a constant basis. I saw people who truly loved God. I didn't know what that meant. I saw these people who loved Jesus. And I, not all of them. It was specific, I'm referring specifically to teachers. Now, these teachers, I easily could have been. I didn't change my ways. I was going into school smelling like, Axe body cologne and burnt popcorn, right? I would still have these ways about me that I easily could have been kicked out of school, but these teachers didn't kick me out of school again. They knew that this was my last option, and they showed me something which I know now is mercy. Instead of kicking me out of school, which they absolutely would have had the right to do, they taught me about God. I had a Bible class called Marriage and Family, uh, taught by Stacy Mansfield. I haven't talked to Mrs. Mansfield, and since that, since school, uh, I've reached out to her, and I, if she's watching this, thank you. Um, but I, uh, sh- instead of you know kicking me out of class, she was teaching me about God's design for family and marriage. She, it's almost like Jesus knew exactly what the real problem in my life was. Right, the real problem in my life was that I didn't have this understanding of what it meant to be a child. Right, my childhood was taken in a lot of ways, and. Um, I didn't know what it meant. Uh, I didn't know what it meant to be shown mercy, right? I didn't know mercy being something that you don't deserve. And Stacy and Chuck, uh, another professor, is my anatomy professor. They did. They showed instead of kicking me out of class, they taught me and allowed me to get an education, right? They showed me mercy. They were exactly the representation uh, that a teacher, especially a Christian teacher, is supposed to be. Now, tying that into today's text, Jesus, during back in the day, when I say back in the day in, in biblical times, and when Jesus was walking the earth in, in human flesh, there were these a group of teachers called rabbis, right now, or, or Pharisees. Pharisees, teacher, the, uh, the Jewish word for, to, for, for teacher is rabbi, right? And these Pharisees were rabbis, they were teachers. And instead of showing mercy, they turned their nose often down to what kids, now call, uh, kids nowadays call the, the ops, right? The opposition. People that they considered that were opposite of them, right? Unholy. Uh, people that God didn't have, they believed that God wanted nothing to do with. And if, we, if you read with me in, in Matthew 9, we're going to see just that. Um, just to paint the picture, I'll read Matthew 9, verses 10 and 11. It says, Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him, Jesus, and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, those, those religious leaders, when they saw it, they said to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the way the Pharisees, the mindset they had was that rabbis don't, your, your leaders, they have nothing to do with these people. God's, let alone God's people, was 
forbidden that a Jewish person would enter the home of a Gentile, right? The ops, the opposition, the one who was not like you, uh, one that they considered opposite. And the Pharisees, instead of teaching and having a heart to show mercy like my professors at Trinity High School, Trinity International, instead of teaching and caring, they cared more about the appearance of holiness. Now, what do I say about the appearance of holiness? So I think about if those teachers would have seen a 17-year-old kid uh, coming in, reeking, obviously not all there, they could have easily put up their nose and said, listen, this, this type of student is not allowed in this, in this school. This is a Christian school. This type of student is not allowed here. But they didn't. But that's exactly how the Pharisees would have responded, right? This, this person, we do not associate ourselves with these people, right? We do not associate ourselves with uh, people who don't have God's blessing or don't, don't appear to be blessed by God. Uh, deadbeats, maybe some would call them, right? So that's how the Pharisees often, often treated I mean, they wouldn't even have fellow, they wouldn't even have, they wouldn't be, let alone dine and eat, they wouldn't be seen around them. But just to paint the picture of where Jesus is at right now, and we, Pastor Steve went over this not too long ago in Mark, but Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was clearly the opposition, right? Tax collectors back then, uh, not to re-spend uh, too much time uh, on that sermon, but tax collectors back then were, they worked for the government. They worked for Rome. They went around and took payment for, they took taxes the same way we pay taxes. They took taxes for Rome, but they were allowed to take whatever they wanted. So it's like the IRS coming in and say, you owe this off of income tax, but I like your Honda Civic. So we're going to take that too. That's, that's, that's part of taxes, right? And, then, and that's what the, these tax collectors would do. Now, tax collectors were often groupless sinners, right? Tax collectors and sinners. So Matthew, who was a tax collector, who's probably, I mean, he was a sinner, I think I mean, we all are, but he was a, a one that was not loved by his own people. Matthew gets called by Jesus. Jesus walks by, sees him working, and says, you, follow me. Matthew gets up and it's like, whoa, I can imagine being Matthew, a rabbi, a teacher, right? These people who don't associate, that people don't like me, let alone rabbis, teachers, a teacher's going to tell me I can come follow him and learn from him? I'm, I'm in. I'm game. Matthew gets up, leaves everything, follows him. And what we see here is that right after this, we see it right before in verse 9. It says, follow me, and he, he rose and followed him. We see, if you look in the other Gospels, um, I think Luke does a really good job of really explaining this, this, this time. Matthew then, we find out that when it says, now it happened, Jesus sat at the table in the house. This is Matthew's house, the same author of this book, by the way. They come and they come. Matthew now is throwing a feast. Luke calls it a great feast, not just a dinner. Matthew's throwing this great feast. This, I, get to, I get to follow somebody who, who knows God. I get to be around somebody who knows God, let alone God himself, right? And now Matthew's inviting. He's doing exactly what I think everybody else would do. You got to, sinners, tax collectors, all the people that the rabbis, these, these, these religious people don't mess with, you guys got to come hear this guy who knows God. You guys got to come and be with God. He was literally evangelizing, saying, you have to come be with God. 
And I think there is so much, so the longer I feel like I walk with God, the unfortunately, I feel like I don't have that same burning desire where I can say, you guys have to come walk with God to family members. You guys got to come meet this guy that called this sinner, right, who called me by name, who knows me, and said, come dine with me, come hang out with me, and come be with me. Um, it's a, that is what evangelism is. Pastor Steve talked about evangelism training, right? We'll, we'll find out the work in a minute. We'll find out what the work that Jesus completed, but Jesus is the one who called him, and Jesus was allow, allowing Matthew to be part of this work, this process of calling others to him, gathering others to him. Now, the Pharisees, however, saw this, and they're like, they would, why does your rabbi, why does your teacher lift up, he's, they're lifting up their nose. Why does your teacher do this? And Jesus, being Jesus, goes right to the heart of the problem, right? And read with me. He says in verse 12, when Jesus heard that, Right, the, that question. He said to them, those Pharisees, those who are well need no, need no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. This, that, that phrase right there, I want to pause. That is, a, that is a jab. These people knew this. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They've read this. They've studied this. They, when Jesus is about to say, uh, quote this, uh, this passage from Hosea, they would know exactly what this means. So for a rabbi, a 33-year-old, at, at best, rabbi, to go tell them, you need to go study the, this, this word that you think you know. And I can imagine them being frustrated, but them also not understanding that the, 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 war, the person who wrote this law, the person that wrote these laws that they are following is actually the person that they're talking to. Right? God the Son was the one. They had no chance, and they often tried to trick him with words. They often tried to trick him with things that Jesus already knew because Jesus is the Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. Right? So when Jesus says in verse 13, I, he says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Those words are a, the, the gravity of those words. So if I were, uh, you know, a, a, if I understand, the way my mind works is if I were called to remember something, um, I, I'm in finance, so let's just use, I'll use math. How about just using math? If somebody, I saw this going around and people on Facebook and they're like, how, do, how would you answer this? How do you calculate 27 plus 32, right? What I do is I go back to something I know immediately. I, well, I know what uh, 25 and 30 equals, and then I'll go from there, right? I, I work around, the, pro, the, work around the, the numbers that I may not know so well. And I can imagine these rabbis thinking, well, that's in the, that's in the book of Hosea. Now, for you guys who don't know, Hosea is absolutely one of my favorite books. Hosea is incredible. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament who actually, if you don't mind turning with me to Hosea chapter 6, and I believe they're going to put it on the, on the screen as well. Hosea was a prophet. A prophet who is called a prophet is one who is, speaks for God. And Hosea was chosen by God to be an instrument to show Israel, the people of Israel, the type of relationship that they were having with God. Right? Hosea was called to marry a prostitute, a woman who would be unfaithful to him over and over and over again. And God the Father, God himself, told them to do that. It told Hosea, you're going to do this. And, and what we see is that this is a representation of 
of Jesus to come, right? This is the same God. And if you don't mind reading, and I'll, I'll actually read it off the board. This is God. This is actually right after, uh, right before this in Hosea 5. God says, God speaks and says, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. They will seek my face, and in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And then Hosea then prophesies and says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. This is, what Jesus is, this is the passage Jesus is referring to, telling them, you guys need to go learn this. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. And for, for the Christians here today, when you see three days, what do you think of? The resurrection, right? Jesus is telling them who he is. This is, a, this is a, uh, what's called a messianic uh, prophecy, a prophecy that is talking about the one to come. Right, the Savior of Israel, that they would have known. They would have known, hey, they knew their word enough to know that God is going to send a Savior. He's going to send a Messiah. Right? They, now, their minds were so involved in themselves that they could not see that this was the Messiah before them. God himself is standing before him, and Jesus consistently is telling him through Scripture, because they know Scripture well, he's telling them who he is through Scripture, saying, hey, I am. I am God. I am the God of your fathers. And when he's telling them, hey, by the way, when you read this, on the third day, he will raise this up. He's also explaining the work he's about to do. And then let's continue to read. That we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Now, I believe it's going to switch to where God is going to be speaking to Israel. And this is God saying, that that's, that's the, the people saying to God, and now God's responding, O oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O oh, Judah, what shall I do to you? And I think as a Christian, you know, I, I might be ridiculed for saying this, but I was taught earlier on, anytime you see Israel or Judah, you could just put your name there. Right? We're adopt, if you're a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of God, and I think there's, a, there's some truth to that. But if you can just imagine God saying this to you, what shall I do to you? And I, I, you know, maybe this isn't you, but this was definitely the Pharisees. For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. Saying your faithfulness is, is short. It's only, you're, you're faithful to me for such a short period of time and then it goes away. Therefore, I have honed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth and your judgments are like that that goes forth. And then God says this, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You see, they were trying to do something that God was completing. They were trying, they, in their mind, they thought they can sacrifice and earn their way, earn their right place before God. They, they overlooked the purpose and the heart behind all of these, 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 these things that God told them to do in the Old Testament Jesus would come and then tell them the heart behind these things. Hey, my heart behind this was never to replace my relationship with you by the completing of these works, right? My heart was for you never to just do the works and leave me out of it, right? So when they, going back to Matthew 6, 
when Jesus is with the people that God desires to be with, and the Pharisees, the, the people that have been given the, uh, the responsibility to teach God's people, teach these people about God, when the Pharisees do this, in their mind, they are, they'd rather sacrifice and have the appearance of holiness than have a relationship with God. They, they lost this, this relationship with God that they had. But God is so faithful to constantly, I think, you know, Pharisees do get a bad rap, and rightfully so. Uh, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. You have the appearance of holiness, but inside you're dead bones, right? They, Pharisees absolutely get ridiculed, but it's so clear that Jesus still reached out to them. He, he told them before, he, he spoke to them in a way that nobody else spoke to them. He spoke to them using the, what, the, what they cared about most, which was God's law. And he showed himself to Pharisees, to religious leaders through God's law. And they were so blinded by their own self, by their own desire for holiness, their, their holiness on their own merit, that they couldn't see that God loved them and God cared about them and not the works that they were doing. Now, there's another group of people that comes right after this, and they're disciples of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was, and Pastor Steve taught about this, I think, two weeks ago. And I was super blessed because I knew that I was going to be talking about John the Baptist, and I was so happy that he talked about him, and I was taking notes. I was taking massive notes, and, uh, which, so you should go back and listen to it. But a couple things about John the Baptist was that John the Baptist was a man who ended up losing his life um, over a, a bad promise. So we'll just leave it like that. So, you know, it, he was one that spoke the truth at all times. He wasn't afraid to correct behavior. He wasn't afraid to address people. And he, he was, Jesus calls him the, the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. Now, when I read this originally, I was like, well, I wonder what was, what was one of the last things John the Baptist said before he got arrested? Because he would end up getting arrested, which he was arrested, he, I would uh, I would say that he was arrested by now. He was probably arrested by now. He would end up getting arrested in jail, and then uh, he ended up dying. He had his head, uh, he was, he had his head severed, his head cut off. But I, what, I wanted to, what I want to do with you guys, I want to go, I want to read this, and then I want to go to John 3, and we're going to read one of the last things John told his disciples outside of prison. So if you read with me really quick, verses 14 and 15, after Jesus tells them to go learn with, I desire mercy, not sacrifice means. It says, then disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? They were probably fasting two days a week, even though that wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the law. That was a tradition. They, would oft, they were often fast uh, Mondays and Thursdays, which just happened to be the busiest days of uh, the markets, uh, and they, what the, 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 at least the Pharisees, we saw that the, the appearance of fasting was supposed to, instead of being something where you were fasting, by the way, abstaining from something, right? Um, taking, I would say abstaining for something to, uh, to, sh- 
to, to make sure that it's, it's a show, it's not even showing. When I think about fasting, it's specifically in the Old Testament, it was for food. And it's often referred to as humbling yourself, right? You are abstaining from something, specifically food, and you are doing that um, in reverence to God and who he is, right? I, God, I, but you also can fast, if, you know, I think of after David's uh, child was, was, was King David in the Old Testament, his t- child died. Uh, he fasted and uh, he mourned, right? It was also part of mourning, right? Um, so the, while there was many reasons to fast, they were fasting twice a week. And um, Jesus', Jesus disciples weren't fasting. And this was something that was clearly noticed. And they said, hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And we do. And Jesus says, in verse 15, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. One, we see that Jesus calls himself a bridegroom, right? The same bridegroom that's in Hosea, the same bridegroom, the same husband analogy in the Old Testament. So Jesus is once again referring to himself as God, a part of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That one God, Jesus is saying, I'm a part of that God. Now, if you don't mind... Because when I read this, I was blown away. So if you don't mind turning uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so three books to the right, and going to John 3. Jesus answers John's disciples in a way, on paper, if you just, just read that, you would be like, well, that's maybe a Hosea reference. But this was extremely personal to John the Baptist, his disciples. Because Jesus specifically chooses these these words about him being a bridegroom, words that John the Baptist also said. Now, if you don't mind reading with me, let's start in verse 26, chapter 3, verse 26. And they, John's disciples came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, once again that means teacher, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. All are coming to him. They're they're no longer following us in your ministry. They're all going to him. This guy that you baptized, right? So there's almost like a, a, a moment where they're like, even though John the Baptist declared, like, I'm not even worthy of tying this man's shoes, right? John had an understanding of who Jesus was in his full context. But his disciples did not. And what they saw, and they, they saw that people were no longer following John the Baptist. They were following Jesus. And people still would follow, follow John the Baptist, but let's just read this. And it's clear because Jesus is talking to some of his people. And John said, it answered, or answered and said, In verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices. So John is saying, I'm the best man, right? I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. Go find out who this groom is, who stands and hears and rejoices greatly because 
the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the end of verse 29, this joy of mine is filled. He, Jesus, must increase, but I, John, Jordan, Steve, Eddie, Sam, must decrease. Jesus, the way he responds to John the Baptist's disciples were using words of their teacher, using a, a, a parable, using this idea, the, the last words that uh, we see, I believe those are the last words before John gets arrested, um, is about Jesus being this bridegroom. Jesus was very specific in the way he answered them. I would argue, I don't know if there's any proof to this, I would argue that they were probably fasting for John. Like these people probably came to Jesus heartbroken. My rabbi is locked up. The one that taught me how to follow God is locked up. Locked up meaning being in prison. They were probably hurting that their rabbi was gone, and now they're doing these traditions, right? They're doing these things, not necessarily bad in nature, but they're doing these things, and they're seeing the teacher. They, they come by the teacher that their teacher said is, uh, is, this, is the bridegroom. Is, he, he said that I come before the Christ. So his teacher is probably telling them that Jesus is the Christ. But Jesus isn't doing the things that they thought Jesus would be doing. Right, And they were doing things that they thought were uh, uh, doing things that they thought were religious, good things to do for a person who was going to be following God. But Jesus, John's heart for his disciples was never to end up fo- it was to follow Jesus. I truly, truly believe that. He understood who his disi- he understood who Jesus was, and his disciples and I think about that for us today. It, the people that we have the pleasure, if you're a Christian, the people that you have the pleasure of being around, your, your job is not, their job is not to, to follow you. The people that you are in your life, your, their job, your job is to point to Christ the way that they've pointed to Christ. Now, they might not see that, right? But then what does Jesus do? They go to Jesus directly. I don't want to overlook that part in Matthew. It says that they came to Jesus. They, they eventually go to Jesus and ask Jesus questions. And the way that Jesus answered them was in a way that was full of love and compassion. I truly believe that. He used words that only they knew the true meaning behind. They were astounded. Whoa, this, I, can you imagine? Just try to imagine for a second. Your leader is now in prison. Is probably he's gonna die soon. And Jesus uses the, the words of your the, the guy that your teacher who you love so much, Jesus uses those words to remind them about the 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 meaning of his life. His life was to point you to me. Tying that in with I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus' desire is always to have a relationship. Right? Jesus would then Shortly after this, Jesus would uh, give up his life. He will be charged with a, a crime he did not commit, but crimes that we committed on his behalf. Or rather, crimes that we committed, and he's going to take the punishment on our behalf. He would die a death that he did not deserve to have a relationship with us, to continue this relationship for eternity. Jesus would be crucified, as I said earlier, and then on the third day, what do we read in Hosea? He would be resurrected. He will heal us. 
His resurrection conquered death, right? His resurrection paid for our sins, right? When I think of the sinner of, I just use myself as an example, uh, similar to Matthew, a sinner, similar to all of us here, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, God's word says. Jesus so loved me that he allowed me, he allowed me to, to run my course, and then he said, Jordan, follow me. I truly believe if you haven't made that decision, Jesus is saying, follow me. Jesus isn't saying, follow me and make all these sacrifices. Jesus is saying, the sacrifice is done. I desire mercy, right? He fulfilled the, he fulfilled the requirements for you to be right with God. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, Calvary Chapel. That is something, and if the worship team, if you guys don't mind, uh, coming up now so we close. That is something that, 10 years walking with God, I still don't quite understand. That God desires mercy, not sacrifice. I would say that I wrestle with this idea. I know that God's word says that we are, we are called to be zealous for good works, meaning that after giving ourselves to, after giving our lives to Christ, we are called to do good works, to be zealous about those good works, be zealous about being able to be used by God to invite friends to a dinner where Jesus will be. We're called to be zealous about those things, but we are never called to replace those things with the actual relationship of Christ. After Jesus called, told his apostles that they will be going out, Pastor Steve highlighted something that was incredible. He said that they would then return and tell Jesus everything that they did. It was never about the work. It was about being a part of the work and you coming back to me and in, Let's talk about what we did, right? Today, we accomplish things through God's spirit. God allows us to do these things. So what I would ask you, Calvary Chapel in the city, is do you, do you, are you one who has the appearance of holiness but is far away from God? Are you one that has been sacrificing your whole walk, but you're overlooking this idea of mercy? Mercy being, instead of being kicked out, you're given a gift, right? Instead of you deserve, when you deserve punishment because your heart is so far from God, your, your faithfulness was like morning dew, uh, God says, I still love you, right? I still will use you. Are you trying to earn your works, earn God's love, or do you rest in the fact that God loves you? Now, I will ask us to bow our heads and pray. And I'll ask, if, if you struggle... with that statement for I desire mercy and not sacrifice if you struggle with doing God's work or if you are, have been doing God's work and your heart has been away from God far from God I would ask that you stand and pray with me while our heads are bowed I would ask that you would stand and pray with me if you are a Christian and you have been unreachable to a group of people. 
like the Pharisees. The Pharisees' way of evangelizing was to be unreachable. They were holier than thou. If you have, if you struggled, if you struggle with loving any group of people, I ask that you would stand and pray with me and that let us not be Pharisees. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the ways that you approach us, God. I thank you for the ways that you call us, Lord. I thank you that you desire mercy and not sacrifice, Lord, and the knowledge of you more than burnt offerings, God. Father, I pray for this group of people that have, who have taken a stand, Lord, people that desire to know what that means, God. When you say go and learn, they desire to learn, God. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they would bask this week in your mercy, Lord. I pray that their time with you would be rich. I pray that they would open it and uh, just feel overwhelmed by the work that you have completed on their behalf, Lord. Not because they deserved it, actually just opposite, God. The fact that they, did, they deserve the punishment that you took, but you gave them life and life more abundantly. And I pray for us here, Lord, who may have a heart of a Pharisee, if there's any bit of that, God, us, God forbid, Lord, we be a church that points at another church or another people group and say, those people, those people I would not associate myself with because God's not going to associate themselves with them, Lord. These are the people that you sat down with and ate with, people that you are probably calling to, Lord. Will we be a church, Lord? Will these people that have taken a stand, Lord, for you, Lord, where their humility, Lord, be used by you, would you use them, Lord, to be a people group who sits down and invites their friends, other people, Lord, to dinner, God, with you, Jesus. And I pray that you would come in and dine with them, Lord, as your word says, Father. Father, we love you, Lord. We are so unworthy of your love and grace, Lord. And I pray that you continue to teach us more, Lord, that we would be hungry for you, hungry for your word, hungry for your son. And for those who have not made the decision to follow you, Lord, who have not accepted you as Lord and Savior, as teacher, God, has not accepted the work that you've completed on the cross on their behalf, Lord. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys don't mind rising for the last worship song, that will be our closing prayer.